Today I want to talk to you about something that grows out of the uh, Torah reading today, the Shema. I want to talk about cultivating a Shema mindset. I want to begin with uh, three things that I think all of us want. First of all, I think we all want the kind of life that Paul spoke of. He speaks in a, to the Ephesians. He speaks that they might be filled up with all the fullness of God. I don't think there's a person in this room that would say, yeah, I'm not interested in that. To be filled up with all the fullness of God, with, with the, to be filled with such an intimate relationship and experience of the presence of God that it just overflows in every aspect of life. I don't think any of us would say, well, I'm not so interested. I think we all want that. I think we all want a Shema kind of life. We admire the idea of being people who love. And the word love here is not so much emotion. It's a matter of allegiance. That who, people who, who are, are loyal to God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, people who are not conflicted in that regard, but who are totally sold out, I think that most of you would say, that would be nice. And I think we would all want the kind of life that Paul lived. What's amazing to me, Paul is running to Philippians, he's in prison. And he says to me, you know, i got a problem. He says, I could depart and be with the Messiah. He says, that would be far better. He says, I'm looking forward to dying. It's better than this. But he says, I'm going to stick around, but then if I stay around, I can help you guys. So, I think I'll stay around and help you guys. But he says, for to me, life is the Messiah and death is gain. Now, I'm a rather morbid individual. I started thinking of my father's death about 30 or 40 years before he died. And sure enough, he did. <laughs> I think about my own death every day. Every day. I realize I'm 73 years old. I've been looking at obituary pages for years. You know. <laughs> I mean years, decades. But then you have the Apostle Paul here. He says, look, to me, life is the Messiah. And to die is gain. To die is a step. Is there anybody here who would not want to have an experience with God, a relationship with God, a certitude about God, that you would say, that, yeah, that doesn't interest me. Don't kid me. I think we'd all want that. So I want to talk to you today about having a Shema mindset. And to have a Shema mindset is to have a mindset where there is no compartmentalization of your life. No compartmentalization. In the ancient world, it was totally compartmentalized. There were many gods for many different reasons. You had God of the harvest, you had the God of the family, you had the God of business, you had a God of, God of this area, that area, of this country, that country, a God of this people, a God of that, that, that people. There were multiple, multiple gods, and it was all kind of divvied up, it was all compartmentalized. Here's a little passage. When, when the Syrians, the, the Arameans, are attacking Israel, 
we read this little little side aside here. The servants of the king of Aram, the king of Syria, said to him, Look, Israel's God is apparently a God of the hills. They creamed us in the hills. So their God is a God of the hills. But if we fight them on level ground, we will certainly be stronger than they. Our God is a God of the valleys. Their God is a God of the hills. This shows you how, how compartmentalized the ancient world was. But don't get too comfortable. Uh, uh, because I'm going to show you for a, in a moment that we're just as compartmentalized as they were. But I want to show you first from Acts chapter 17. Are, are we... Uh, uh, hello, could you advance? Oh. Next, keep going. I've been there, done that. Been there, done that. Stop there. That the, biblically, the God of Israel is not a compartmentalized God. Here is Paul's sermon to, uh, from Paul's sermon in Athens, uh, where when he's walking through Athens, the text says he was nauseated with all of the, all of the altars and all of the temples he saw to various gods. It made him sick. But then when he goes to the Areopagus, his great marketplace, to speak, he doesn't do something stupid like, say, to the Athenians, you know, you people make me vomit. He doesn't begin that way. He commends them. He says, I saw all you. I see you're very religious. And he says, I see you had this altar over here to an unknown god. He says, that's where I want to start with you. I want to talk to you about the god you don't know. So he's, uh, it's a marvelous chapter for learning how to be a religious fanatic without making people sick. Uh, we have an entire culture that needs to learn that. And Paul says this to them. He says, The God who made the universe and everything in it, who is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in man-made temples, nor is he served by human hands as though he lacked something. So he's saying, that's not the kind of God who... He's the God who made heaven and earth. It is he himself who gives life and breath and everything to everyone. So he's saying, this is a universal God. Not just a, a regional God, not just a national God, not just a kind of a God of the hills, a God of the valleys. He gives life and breath and everything to everyone. And from one man he made every nation living on the entire surface of the earth. He fixed the limits of their territories and the periods when they would flourish. So he's saying, this is the kind of God we have. He's a God of everywhere, of everything, and everybody. Amen. You understand? So this is not a compartmentalized God. This is a very unified God. So the Shema really testifies to this whole worldview. He, Paul goes on. He said, God did this so that people would look for him and perhaps reach out and find him, although in fact he is not far from each one of us again. He's the God of everyone, everywhere, everything, everybody. For in him we live and move and exist. Indeed, as some of your poets have said, we are actually his children. He quotes from three pagan poets in this sermon. He's not contemptuous. He realizes that these people have intuitions about God that are valid. But he wants them to take him further. He wants to take them further than their intuitions. He wants to make truth explicit. And when you and I are sharing our faith with people, 
I don't think any of us are like the people that I knew 50 years ago and more when I came to the Yeshua faith. And I still have met people since then, people who think that in order for us to share our faith with other people, we have to tell them that everything they believe is garbage. Everything they know is stupid until we come along. Let me tell you, don't waste your time. First of all, you're not going to accomplish anything. Number two, it ain't biblical. Paul takes these rank pagans whose idols make him nauseous, and he speaks to them with respect, and he quotes from three of their poets. And he's not kidding. So we have a lot to learn from him. But right now what we're learning from him is that the biblical worldview is of a God who is a God of everything, everywhere, everyone, every aspect of life. He's a God in whom all of life is unified. Okay, so we're not, idolatry is different. And our idolatry, now I get to indict us, our idolatry is not the same as the Athenians' idolatry. Our idolatry is not that we have different gods for different areas of life. It's not that we have different gods for different peoples. It's not that we have different gods for different localities. We're well beyond that. Next slide. Our idolatry compartmentalizes life. We think of things that are sacred and things that are secular. Things that are God's business and things that are not really God's business. That's idolatrous. That's contrary to the biblical worldview. But we've been brought up with it. It's been part of our culture for about 300 years since the Enlightenment. And we don't realize that we've been marinated in these presuppositions, which are, which are not really biblical, and they really insult God. We, we have categories, well, this is religious, and this is non-religious. This is the world of religion, and this is the world of the secular world. This is church, and this is state. This is spiritual and material. This is God stuff, and this is the other stuff. I think we need to reconsider that. Uh, and I know that's quite a challenge. We need to reconsider how we compartmentalize life. Because by implication, we're saying there are certain things that are God's stuff and that are God's business. Then there are certain things that are other stuff. From the biblical point of view, everything is God's business. All of life belongs to God. He gives to all men and women everywhere, life and breath and everything. Psalm 24, who shall, let's see, uh, it, it, it talks about uh, who is the king of glory, the Lord mighty in battle, he is the king of glory. And if you read that psalm, it shows that every category of life is the business of the king. So what is the Shema mindset? Next slide. The Shema mindset is full-time, full-life allegiance to God. All else is idolatry, self-deceit, and offense. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, in all of life. That doesn't mean that everywhere we go we, we, we sound religious. You don't go to the supermarket, pay for, your, pay for your cantaloupe, and say to the checkout person, the living Lord our God gave me the money for this holy cantaloupe. Which he, which he created with his own blessed hands. Please. I'll, I'd be, if I was standing online behind you, I would be right there on my cell phone dialing 911. 
on one. <laughs> so even though I'm saying that everything is God's business, that doesn't mean you get cloyingly religious about everything. There are some people like that, and I, just, I, 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 I would rather avoid such people. You don't cram religion down everybody's throat, but you bring your relationship with God. As a matter of fact, that's the wrong way to think about it. Because to talk about bringing God into something means that he's outside. Forget that mentality. I'm not asking you to bring God into anything. I'm asking you to remember that he's already there. And, and that you must include God in your mindset because he's already there in every aspect of life. And he has a will and he has certain rights and we need to remember that. Full time, full life, allegiance to God. All else is idolatry, self-deceit, and offense. Offense to who? Offense to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all of life. So how do we get here? Next one, please. I'm not going to talk about this, but you have to look up two philosophers, David Hume and Immanuel Kant, 18th century. And the Enlightenment, which divided reality into what Francis Schaeffer calls an upper story and a lower story. The upper story is, uh, is the religious world. Go to the next slide. We'll look at the upper story. The upper story is the world of faith, the world of religion, the world of spirituality and meaning. The lower story is the world of stuff, of sex, of puppies, of mechanics, of history, of events, of science. The upper story is the world of values. And that's all very private and very kind of wispy and ethereal. The lower story is the world of stuff, the world of, of, of the provable and the scientific and the historical and the actual. And We've been taught to think in this bifurcated way that, for example, religion is a private matter. You know, we, we take that assumption. It's private. Where do we, where do we get that? It's, uh, it, it's just part of this mindset. The two never meet. You don't bring your faith, your religion, your spirituality into the world of stuff. If you're a, you know, I, I, I teach a Bible study. Did I ever mention that I teach a Bible study on Wednesday nights? Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock in Beverly Hills? There's a guy who comes there who's a, an engineer at JPL. There might be some people at JPL that he ought not to share with them the fact that he's a committed believer in Jesus because they don't like, some people don't like you bringing your religion into the world of science. The two are assumed to be two different worlds, the upper story and the lower story. The biblical worldview is that you, you shouldn't have a bifurcated mm -hmm. vision of life. And uh, next, next slide, please. Here's Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera, the greatest relief pitcher in the history of baseball, the only person who ever was voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame unanimously on the first ballot. A prince of a guy. And if you go on YouTube, you will see uh, him giving a speech, as he's doing right here, when he was received into the Baseball Hall of Fame. 
At the beginning of his speech, he says, first of all, he says, I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave me everything I have, and who even, even gave us this beautiful day to enjoy. Question, was he right or wrong to do that? Uh, he wasn't cramming it down anybody's throat, but was he right to bring his God into the stuff of his life? Biblically, he was absolutely right. People have such respect for him. His wife is a Pentecostal minister. Her name is Clara. And he's, uh, he's been a great benefactor. He's a, he's a prince. He started out as a dirt poor fisherman. Uh, um, uh, 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 and he became this world class. But we, we tend to think, oh, he's bringing religion into it. No, he has a holistic worldview. Mariano had a holistic worldview. His relationship with God has everything to do with his success in baseball, even has everything to do with the fact that he has a beautiful day in which to speak in Cooperstown at the Baseball Hall of Fame. This is an illustration of a man who has a decompartmentalized life where God is in everything, life and breath and everything. And that's what a Shema mindset is. A Shema mindset is one that sees that God is in everything and that everything is God's business. So, next slide. What must we do to implement a Shema mindset in our life? Number one, we should train ourselves not to compartmentalize life. Catch yourself. Like I caught myself this morning. The, even the very language of bringing God into something is a fundamental philosophical mistake. Because to bring God into something means he's outside of it. But he's not outside of anything. Uh, uh, you read Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, I, I, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. Uh, if, I, if I go to the depths of the earth and follow the depths of the sea, even there your right hand shall lead me. I can't get, I can't get away from you. You're everywhere. That's the biblical worldview. So number one, we need to train ourselves not to compartmentalize life. Secondly, in every context of our life, we should love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds. Everything is God's business. The way you do your business, the way you shop, the way you carry on your relationship with your wife and your children and your husband, your friends, the people on the bus, the people on Bank. Again, please, this doesn't mean to become a weird religious fanatic who is using everything as an example to preach. I find that very uncomfortable. I used to know people who I didn't want to go to restaurants with them. Because they go to a restaurant, the waitress comes over, and this guy would have to find some excuse to try and engage the waitress in a religious conversation. Well, I respect his eagerness, but it's kind of forcing, you know? He'd say to the waitress, he'd say to the waitress, says, he'd point to me, he'd say, you know this guy? He believes that Jesus Christ is alive. <laughs> you know, she's just wanted to find out, you know, do we, do we, want, do we want anything to drink? You know? Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not talking, I'm not talking to you about forcing religion on everything. I'm saying Remember that God permeates all of life. 
Everything is God's business, and everything must be done in for him. So, in every context, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Subsume all of life under obeying his truth, cultivating his companionship, and living as his servants. Obeying his truth, how shall I obey God today? That's a very Jewish mindset. The Jewish religious question is, what does it mean for me to glorify God in this situation? That's what the mitzvot are about. What does it mean for me to honor God in this situation, doing this thing? So, obeying God, obeying his truth, cultivating his companionship. Cultivate your relationship with God. Have an open heart. Talk to him. Uh, I got up this morning, and I, uh, I have things that I'm worried about. Before I got out of bed, before my feet were on the floor, I was talking to God. Uh, cultivate that companionship and live as his servants. Obey his truth, cultivate companionship, and live life as his servant. Finally, last slide. What must we do to implement the Shema mindset? Paul says it this way. He says, whatever you do, whether it's eating or drinking or anything else, do all so as to bring glory to God. This is the Shema mindset. Okay, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song. Echad. The Echad song is all about the Shema mindset. And with this, 